Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. We're going to be wrapping up our series that we've been in since the start of this year on Gospel Foundations. And so, uh, as you probably know, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, we've been examining topics like the story of God. How do we understand the narrative of what God has done and is doing in the world? We've been looking at the gospel, how through Jesus we're brought into the story. We've looked at what is the difference between religion and the gospel. Then last week, I kicked us off looking at how the church takes up its role through participation. And uh, I was actually in a meeting this week with Krista, who, uh, for those of you who don't know, Krista is our deacon for spiritual formation for women. And Krista and I were discussing this series and just different things that we've been seeing. And Krista made this great, profound statement that she's probably like, what are you talking about? She said to me about this series, none of us moves past this stuff. Church, none of us moves past what we've been talking about these last weeks, these foundational core truths of not just who we are as a church, but who Jesus has made us to be as his people. We don't move past this. So I would encourage you, if, if this has kind of been dragging for you, these, oh, these are just the basics. Oh, I already know this. Ask the Spirit to bring this home in fresh ways to you. And for those of you who maybe are newer, ask the Spirit to help you understand how these core truths actually need to sink deeper and deeper into your soul. Because so we, we don't move past this stuff. So as I said last week, we started by looking at participation. And as I said at the end of last week, we're going to continue that today. The big picture, the big question that we're answering right now at the end of this series, because next week we're going to kick off back into the book of Matthew. The question we're looking at is how does the church take up its role, take up its place in the story? How does the church, the people of Jesus, know what they're supposed to be doing right now in the story of God. As I was studying and prepping this week, I came across this quote that just really powerfully captured what this is about. I think the quote should be up here on the board. The gospel story defines the life of the Christian and the life of the church. Check this out, though. While the life of the church and the life of the Christian is correspondingly a retelling and reinterpreting of the gospel story. The world, I want you to Check out the power of this quote. The world has no access to the gospel other than as it is narrated in the life, worship, and proclamation of the church. Through its service and being as witness, the church is a rendering of the gospel to the world. Think about that. The world has no access to understand the good news of Jesus and his story unless the church is actively living and participating in that story. So this quote really captures what participation is about. And last week we saw that to be in Jesus is to be on the move with Jesus. That if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you're on the move with Jesus. But how do we know if we're on the move with Jesus? We will be on the move with his people. We will be in life with his people. And this is how we began to see that we initially participate in the story of Jesus. And so that's where we jumped into Romans 12. 
in terms of realizing that Romans 12, which in one sense looks like a series of moral statements of here's what a good moral Christian should be doing, but rather we saw, no, this is how the church figures out how it's supposed to live out the story. So this morning, what I want us to do is we're going to press a little bit more into the meat of Romans 12. We're going to look at some specific verses, some specific application for us here in Virginia. But as we get started, I want us to, I really want you to grab hold of two words today. Two words that we want to add into our quiver, so to speak. We looked at participation. Now I want you to think about these other two words. I want you to consider the words coherent and contingent. Coherent and contingent. I want us to consider how these words not only help us figure out how we live out our place in the story, but how these words actually help us understand Romans 12. And by way of an introduction, I actually just want to share with you a little bit about my own life and how these two words actually came to save, actually came to save my faith walk with Jesus. Back in 2012 to 2015, I was in a season of deep, deep doubt about the Christian faith, about the Bible, about how I could actually know if the Bible was really true. I had grown up as a church kid, basically just assumed the Bible was God's word because I'd always heard it was, so I might as well just believe it, right? But I had never been called to question or to consider how I could really know if this was God's word to me. I was, so this was around 2012. I was, uh, I was in seminary. I was learning how to study the Bible and learning how to be a pastor, and that's when I really came to doubt really came to doubt if I could know if this was true. And when I mean struggle, I don't mean like, oh, the occasional doubt, but then I go about my day. I mean every freaking day for years. Doubt about if I could really know if this was God's word to me today. Does this make sense? I thought I was a fraud. I began to spiral into anxiety and depression because I realized that if this was not God's word, then literally my whole life is a freaking joke. I'm building. I have nothing to build on. This has all been a complete waste of time. This is just, this Bible, it's just a collection of old documents that I'm reading now and pretending it's God's word. So I was in a really dark place. And my, my doubts came to center on this question. How could this collection of documents from thousands of years ago actually be God's word to Nate in 2012? That question wrecked me for years. And to make matters worse, I was in seminary. I was supposed to, you know, kind of have some crap together. Like you're, train, you're, like you're learning the original language. I was learning to read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. And here I am, more confused and full of doubt than ever. I felt like a fraud. I felt like a sham. I remember one morning specifically, I could tell you the chapter and verse in Matthew. I was reading in Matthew and I was just like, what in the world is this? This makes no sense at all. So, for those of you who are doubters, welcome to the party. And doubt is not bad. Doubt leads us somewhere. We could talk more about doubt later. I would love to talk with you if you have doubts like that. But in God's providence, in his timeline, in his kindness, I was allowed to struggle like this for a season I felt like forever, thought it would never end. 
And then God used a series of things in my life. But one day, I was in a New Testament intro class. It was the summer of 2015. I read a simple phrase by a guy named Thomas Schreiner, who you've probably, you guys have probably heard more Thomas Schreiner than you know, because me and Scott always read this guy and talk about him. So Thomas Schreiner wrote that we must understand the New Testament, and I would say the whole Bible, as being written in contingent contexts, but stemming from a coherent gospel. Contingent contexts, contexts that could change, but all coming from a coherent gospel. Contingent means it was written to specific people in specific contexts in a specific time. But all of the truth being delivered to those people was from a coherent gospel. This led me to then actually begin to put the pieces together that the Bible is what we would call an occasional document. It was written to specific people on a specific occasion with specific issues in mind. So the church in Rome was a specific context, specific people, but the truths that were being brought to them were coherent. They were logical. They make sense. They're able to actually transcend the time and space that they were even written towards. And what I realized was that contingent contexts does not mean it's not true for us today that those two actually work together. And that's actually how we realize this is God's word to us today. So I realized that this Bible that we have is a series of coherent truths, meaning they are logical, they are clear, and they hold things together. That's what coherent means. But the Bible is written to specific contingent contexts based on what was happening where they wrote the letters to or the documents to. So then I realized that my job as someone learning to study the Bible, and really the job of a Christian learning to study their Bible is to say, how do I understand this context and the truth that actually transcends that context and speaks to me today? And church, as we learn to apply that in that way, that's how we learn how to participate. That's how we learn what Paul wrote to the church in Rome needs to be understood in our day today. We don't just look and say, okay, well, do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay, now we just do this, do this, do this. No, we say, what is true of what he's saying? And what would that look like for us today in the 757 of Virginia in the year 2023? So I want us now to hear Romans 12. I'm gonna ask Sam and Emily to come up and they have very kindly agreed to read Romans 12 for us. The mic is actually right there, guys. Romans 12, uh, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members, and individually members one of another. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does act, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Let's pray. Jesus, as we look at your word to us today, I do ask for help, God, both for myself and for my friends here. I ask Jesus that you would help us to connect truth to our, uh, our context today. Jesus, I pray for every man, woman, and child here this morning that we would hear your voice, Jesus, today. That, we'd hear, that we would hear your call to us to do the work of figuring out how we play out our part in the story of God. So Jesus, we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. So if Paul is writing to a contingent situation, a contingent context, a very specific location to the church in Rome, how does that speak to us today? If these gospel foundations that Scott and I have been laying us through in terms of story, gospel, how do we pick up our role? If these things are true, how do we figure that out right now? In Hampton Roads? How do we look at what Paul's saying in Romans 12 and kind of take that as a case study and say, how do we then apply that to the grid of our own lives today? Well, what we're going to do this morning is I just want to draw out two really broad themes from Romans 12. Basically, what we want to do is look at this passage and say, what do we notice about these commands? What does it seem pretty obvious? Paul is calling them to, again, because that was a long passage, those 21 verses. There's a lot going on there. I could, we could do a whole series on Romans 12. But what I want to do today is just look at two broad themes to give us a framework to say, well, here's how we'd figure this out today. So the two things we're going to look at are, one, knowing your place in a given 
or a specified community. Knowing your place in a given or specified community. And then secondly, participating in living out the gospel. So let's look at this first point of knowing your place in a given specified community. Look at verses 1 through 6. I would, I would ask you to keep your Bible open and look at those verses. As I initially hit on last week when we opened up this passage, Paul's telling the church that discerning God's will actually doesn't mean saying, okay, God, help me know, should I buy eggs today or not? They're really expensive, but God, give me wisdom. I mean, yes, God does want to speak to us and give us wisdom. Or God, help me know if I should take this job or if I should date this person. We often think that discerning God's will means like that type of like, God, I need to know your will for my life. Friends, we know his will for our life, that we live out who we are. So discerning God's will means figure out what it means to play out your part in the story. He writes, in, look, again, look at these verses, that we're to consider our own capacity, to consider our own gifting with a sober judgment. This means realistically assessing how God has made you and then living that out. We all have, he says, we all have various measures of faith. It's so funny, I regularly talk to people who I look at their life, I look at what they're doing, and I'm like, man, you must have so much faith to do that. And they're like, well, dude, you're a pastor. You get up and like open God's words to people. And I'm like, what you do is way harder than what I do. And they're like, no, man, what you do is way harder than what I do. Friends, we have different measures of faith. We are gifted in different ways to play out our part in the story. Some of us are maybe gifted in more public ways, like standing on a stage and talking about the Bible. That's not any better than somebody who's being gifted to faithfully live out their identity in a job, in leading people, in loving people, in ways that they're serving that no one will ever see. One's not better than the other. Again, we often foolishly think they are. So Paul is saying in these first verses, know how you are gifted to play out your role. We're not all the same. We're all not gonna be gifted. The goal is that our various giftings show what Jesus is actually like. Not one person is gonna have the corner on the market in showing what Jesus is like. So we need to know your part to play, what level of gifting, or as Paul says, what level of faith you have. He says that in verse three. But here's the million dollar question. How do you figure out how you're gifted? Do you know how many guys I have met who just say, you know what, I think I'm gonna be a pastor. I'm like, oh, you think you're gonna be a pastor. Like, they're determining, they think that. Or you know what? I think I'm going to have this gifting. Oh, I didn't know we got to choose what our gifting was. It sounds like this is something the Spirit does. So, million-dollar question. How do you figure out how you're gifted? How do you learn to recognize, essentially, what's in your lane? What's your seat on the bus? What's your role to play in your missional community, in your family? I mean, probably... Each of us in our own ways could tell stories of our own jobs, of some new Joe Schmo who shows up and thinks, yeah, I'm ready to be a manager. It's like, oh, okay, you're ready to be a manager. You don't even know how to clock in right. So who gets to determine what your gifting is? How do you determine your role? Friends, by living in a specific community with people and seeing how the Spirit is going to use you, that's how you figure out your gifting. You figure out your gifting by living in community. You figure out your gifting by being in life with people. You realize your gifting by committing to not just show up, but by saying, how can I serve, love, or lead 
in this context with the gifts that I have. And then you actually will have people come around you and say, you know what, you're really good at that. Thank you for doing that. It means that you show up in context of life with people, not just as a consumer, but saying, what could I do to participate here? Again, for example, if there were people in our church that said, I need home repair work, they should not call me. They should not call me. I can give you the list of 10 better people to call who are gifted in that way. And interestingly enough, we often think gifting means how do I serve on a Sunday morning? Friends, your gifting by the Spirit is a Sunday through Saturday gig. You are gifted to play out your identity, not just on a two-hour gap on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week as you are living life with the people of Jesus. That's where your gifting becomes clear. A lot of people think, well, I don't really know how I'm gifted. Oh, well, I mean, what I do on Sunday is I serve on the merge team or the setup team or I'm a drummer in the band. It's like, okay, well, that's one gifting. But if you're a drummer in the band or you serve with setting up and cleaning our building, that might not be your gifting throughout the rest of the week. So don't you think the Spirit maybe might have other giftings for you to explore? I think for some of us here, you know your gifting. Or maybe you're awakening to your gifting. I would encourage you, keep pressing into that. Don't be lazy with trying to stir up your gifting. I think that church, right now here in our context, I think there's a lot more leadership gifting. I think there's a lot more leaders here that need to be stirred up here at Redemption. And maybe if you're feeling that press, maybe the Spirit's pressing on you right now about that. I think that there are more gifts of faithfulness, of people who are like, you know what, I don't know if I can call the lead, but I know this and this and this. Oh, I could get in this lane. I could do that forever. Friends, that's a gifting. (laughs) I think there are more gifts of generosity with time, with talents, with your treasures that you've been giving. I think there are people here that maybe the Spirit's stirring up. I think that there are teenagers here who maybe the Spirit is wanting to stir up. I think that there are couples who maybe are uniquely gifted, not one by themselves, but couples together that maybe are gifted in some pretty unique ways. I think for some of you, it's time to come out of the woodwork. It's time to step up and begin to serve. And I think for some of us, maybe you don't know how you're gifted. And you genuinely are like, I really have no clue. I would ask you, first off, are you actually living life with people? And second of off, start asking people. Ask people, what do they see? Ask, ask yourself, what am I good at? What, could I, what needs do I see that need to be solved? That's often how you figure out your gifting. Again, I, I regularly see this with interacting with Scott and I. He's regularly thinking about these different ways that our church needs to grow and serve. And I'm often in a meeting like, holy cow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, our church probably does need to grow in these ways. And I'm sure, you know, maybe sometimes it works vice versa. He's like, oh yeah, Nate. I mean, it does work that way. He's told me that. Like, yeah, you're tracking in areas that our church needs to grow in that maybe he didn't see. Church, the problems you see, the issues you want to fix in life with people are probably the areas you're called to serve and grow. It's probably where you're gifted. So, You discern what the will of God is. You discern how to play out your role by living in community. 
And this is like a really easy plug moment for me to say join a missional community. Be part of people's lives. Commit to regularly be with a group of people trying to figure out how to love people who don't know Jesus. And you're gonna figure out your gifting there. So we're learning our role, our gifting in a specific community. That's what verses one through six is saying. But then Paul shifts in verse six through 21, seven through 21. And he literally says, here's how you now participate in actually living out the gospel of Jesus. Remember last week I said, we don't just believe the gospel, we participate in the gospel. This is now what Paul spends the rest of the chapter doing. Everyone, look at, look at those verses. There, there's a lot in there. Verses six through 21. There's a lot of commands. All of them are about literally becoming a flesh and blood representation of the gospel. Every one of them. Look at the verses. Learning to speak prophetically in the lives of people. Serving people with love. Teaching those who need to be taught. Exhorting, contributing, leading, being generous, showing mercy, loving, being present with each other's lives, rejoicing in hope, blessing in the midst of being persecuted. Keep going down the list. All of those are ways that we participate and actually become the gospel. Not saying we become Jesus. We become the good news. We become a flesh and blood representation of this good news that we don't just believe we live it out. I've got two quotes for you that if you just want to take a picture of these and read Romans 12 and then chew on this the rest of the week, you could probably just ignore the rest of my sermon. I'm just kidding. Don't do that, please. N.T. Wright says, the gospel of God today and tomorrow, as it was in Paul's day, must become, as it did in Jesus, flesh and blood. That which was unveiled before an unprepared world in Jesus Christ must be unveiled again and again, as those who believe in Jesus live by the Spirit and, in life as well as in word, announce the gospel to the world. Pause right there. Don't read the next quote yet. The good news of Jesus was unveiled when God in flesh showed up. The announcement of a kingdom was seen in a flesh and blood man. That same gospel must become unveiled to your neighbors, to your family, to your missional community, to the places you go where unbelievers are. And you know who's gonna unveil the gospel? You are you are going to become the flesh and blood unveiling of the gospel to them. Not telling them, oh, you need to come to church and let my pastor tell you how to be a Christian. No, you are the ministers of the gospel. Second quote by Mike Gorman. He says, yes, the gospel must become flesh and blood in and as the church, which is to say as well that the church must become the gospel, embodying God's salvation. Church, we take up our role in the story by not just living in community, but by embodying the very good news that we ourselves have experienced. Friends, all of these commands, verses 6 through 21, can be summed up by saying, become the very good news that you have received. And then figure out your role in the story. This is what Romans 12 is about, by learning to love those who are hard to love, by going to their homes, by inviting them into your home, by listening to them, by being patient and present enough to actually give a rip about people's lives. 
you embody the good news. You are becoming, what Paul would say, the righteousness of God, the justice of God in the world. By taking up your role in the story, you are becoming a flesh and blood reality of the story. By sacrificing your time, your money, by contributing to the needs of others, Jesus is becoming real to people. And what's amazing is that he becomes more real to you as you figure out your role in the story. So church, this is how we participate. This is how we make a coherent gospel known in our context in Virginia. So we've covered a lot of ground. I I just spit out a lot. In one sense, could land the plane here and we could be done. But I want to ask us one closing question. We've seen the call to participate. We've seen the call to make the gospel clear. We've seen the call that we figure out our gifting in community and that's how we pick up our role. But why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? Why can we not do this in the 757, in Virginia, in 2023? What is keeping us from being people who live this out? I think the answer is not that we lack desire. I think there are people here who really, really, really want to pick up the call to participate. The answer is not because we're lazy. I think there's a lot of answers. And I will tell you, though, that as your pastor, as someone who regularly is praying for you, as Scott and I are regularly praying for you and trying to listen to the Spirit of trying to figure out how do we live out the gospel in Hampton Roads, I think perhaps for us, I'll say maybe the number one reason, you can push back and say, no, there's another number one reason. I think the number one reason we cannot become participants is because we're too busy. We are too busy. We want to do these things. We want to take part in them, but we are too busy. And let me be very, very clear about this. I'm addressing myself here, number one. So don't hear this as accusation. We genuinely want to make disciples. We want to follow Jesus. We want to play our part but we're too busy. I think for some of you, this is why you are so anxious all the time. This is why you can't sleep. This is why maybe you always feel like you're 10 seconds from crashing. We are too busy, but what are we too busy with? I think each of us has to answer this in our own way, but I believe it's possible, and we need to consider this, that perhaps some other gospel has most evidently or as in such a big way captured you. Some other good news holds your gaze more than the good news of Jesus. It's almost like Jesus is in the periphery, but we need this so bad. I think for a lot of us, we don't know what that is. I think for some of us, we need to realize that we might believe the American dream more than we know. Because think about this. This is gonna hurt. If you are too busy to actually love Jesus' people and to live life with them, then you need to be honest and just say, I'm too busy to follow Jesus. I am too busy to follow Jesus. And I think for us to move forward as a church, we need to do business with this and be honest about our own lives. I think for some of us, we need the spirit, the voices of others to help us unravel our busyness. If you're like me, you know you can't figure this out on your own. I think for some of us, we are too busy because we're afraid to say no. 
We do not have structures in our life that allow us to ever say no. So we perpetually are full because we say yes to many good things that might not actually be the right things. I don't think any of you are busy doing bad things. I don't think any of you are busy wasting your time. We are busy with many, many good things. I think for some of us, though, we are busy because maybe we've believed a counter gospel, whether it's the gospel of hustle more, be more, call that the gospel of Joe Rogan of just accomplish, achieve, fix your life, become a better person in all of these ways. The gospel of if I can just be like them, fill in the blank of whatever your Instagram feed is filled with. The gospel of you need your kids to be doing X, Y, and Z activity or else you're a terrible parent. I think a lot of parents need to be rescued. I'm not thinking of specific people, but I'm sure a lot of parents need to be rescued from that gospel. The gospel of you need to be making this much and saving this much or else you're going to be in a cardboard box on the side of the road. Church, we need to hear the call to unbusy our lives because this is what keeps us from becoming participants. So before you grow tempted to despair because you're insanely busy like me and like all of us, let us hear what Jesus offers us in the very good news that we struggle to live out. The good news is that even as we consider our busyness, our lack, our deep need, what does Jesus do? He invites us to come and partake. He does not hold us at an arm's distance. We are invited to receive. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is receiving in the face of your lack and your inability. Because church, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus has done the work. He doesn't call us to change by shaming us, but he calls us to yet again consider him who for our sake became the the participant. He who for our sake stepped into our world. He calls us to consider how he himself not only declared the good news, but is himself the actual good news. The good news for us today, Redemption Church, is a person in whom we see what God is really like. And so church, it's here, even as we consider our busyness, I would like to invite you to the communion table. The communion table of Jesus, which check this out, We don't contribute to it. We don't get to bring a side dish to it. We don't help make it. Jesus calls us to come and receive. I think a lot of you are probably the type of people that when you get invited to someone's house for dinner, you you think, I gotta bring something. Let me know what I can bring. I gotta do something. Yeah, there's something there to examine, by the way, that you struggle to just receive. Church, even as we feel Yes, conviction. Yes, I want to participate, but I'm so busy. Jesus says, yep, I know. Let's come and partake. Come and be reminded of the depth of my love. Come and be reminded of the fact that I already know your struggles. I already know where you feel weak. Come and receive. We are simply offered in the communion meal this morning a way to enjoy what Jesus has provided for us. The communion table, which in many ways is this very unique moment of solidarity with Jesus 
through his broken body and his blood. This is for anyone who would claim to be a follower of Jesus. Whether you suck at being a Christian like me or whether you think you're actually doing okay. The communion table is an invitation to come. We're called back in the communion table, back into the story, back into knowing what Jesus has done for us, back into realizing that as we come and partake of the broken body and blood of Jesus, you know what he does? He feeds us and then says, now you get to go be this to people. That's incredible. That's incredible. So parents, if you would like, we're gonna... uh, do communion in just a minute. So if you would, for parents of older kids, if you would like to go get your kids, you can go do that right now. And if the band would like to come up now, we're gonna do a closing song in just a minute. So church, I would just invite you, as the band's getting ready to lead us, to just consider your life. Consider the ways that you see Here's where maybe Jesus is calling me to become a participant. Here's where maybe Jesus is calling me to take up my role. But what am I so busy with? What is filling my gaze so much that I actually, if I'm honest, I say, yeah, I am too busy to follow Jesus. Let's just take a minute and quiet our hearts as the band is preparing and then I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll come and partake of communion. Jesus, as we ourselves even face coming to the table, Jesus, some of us here might be aware of a deep sense of lack, a deep sense of where we have failed, either through sin, through living in unbelief this week. Jesus, some of us might just be so busy in our souls and with our bodies, in our lives, with our calendars that we don't even know how to stop. Jesus, I pray that you would remind us that you were the one who in the midst of a crowd, in the midst of a busy, chaotic scene in the gospel, that you paused for the one blind man. The mission of God, Jesus, as you were going to Jerusalem to die for the sake of the world, you stopped for one blind man. Jesus, each of us here this morning resonate with that blind man that we need the help of the son of David to have mercy on us. To have mercy on us, Jesus, either because of our busyness or even because of our lack of affection. Jesus, some of us here, if we are honest, we just need to say, I don't want to participate in the story of God. Apart from the spirit of God breaking in, I just don't want to. Jesus, have mercy on us. Help us. And Jesus, in our lack, even in our unbelief, 
give us eyes of faith to see what the communion table is calling us to. That this communion table does not represent a chance for us to say, I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do more for Jesus. No, Jesus, help us push that aside because this communion table is about work being finished. And we now are the recipients of the work. So Jesus, give us faith. Give us joy. Help us to understand the forgiveness of sins, which isn't just some static reality, but is a sending reality that because sin is forgiven, because of Jesus' broken body and blood, we now participate in that forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus, in this little bit of bread, in this little bit of juice, a physical thing that we will actually put into our bodies, Help us realize that communion is participating in such a way that we take the good news of Jesus and we put it in our very guts. The communion, this table, is going into us and it's going to transform us. So Jesus, help us now. And even as we sing, Jesus, we pray for refreshment. Would the table and our songs now refresh us to know who we are, to cast aside what is behind us and to look forward to Jesus who is ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.